How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I left this husband that was an alcoholic, drug abuser, abused me. I left him. I went down a path of deep depression, high anxiety, get on this bus, sort of last ditch effort. The person that sits next to me has a water bottle (laughs) and it's not filled with water. On this week's episode, I speak with Pamela Topgian. Pamela has experienced a great deal of trauma in her life and so much so that she felt that she had no other choice but to take a one-way bus ticket across the country as a last ditch effort to cope with all of it. So in this episode, you're going to hear her incredible story and how her journey has shaped her into the person that she is today. And it's it's quite inspiring. And I was so happy to have this conversation. But before we get into the episode, I just wanted to share that this week's episode is sponsored by Brian, Sari, Tracy, Mickey, and Emily through the Patreon page. And all of you, your generous contributions help me keep the Life Shift podcast going and allow me to continue to provide listeners with the best episodes that I can create. If you're interested in supporting the show, the Patreon offers exclusive access to bonus episodes with former guests. Uh, There are ad-free and early access to episodes, and there's an ongoing t-shirt giveaway. So if you haven't joined yet, please head to thelifeshiftpodcast.com forward slash join and become a part of the community today. Thank you, and without further ado, I present to you the Life Shift episode with my new friend, Pamela. I'm Mackil Hooley, and this is The Life Shift, candid conversations about the pivotal moments that have changed lives forever. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Life Shift Podcast. I am here with a new connection, Pamela. Hi, Pamela. Hello. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. We, You are my first Twitter guest. Yeah, how fun. <laughs> you just never know, do you? <laughs> I just never know. I had, a, I had a guest where I was talking to about kind of the things in podcasting that we want to do and 
and try out. And she was like, you should try Twitter. I'm trying to get more in there. And I was like, mm, Twitter? I don't know. So I have been in there and just kind of playing around and talking to people. I've really curated my list to a smaller, mostly podcasters or mostly people interested in podcasting to keep it kind of nice and, and tight for yeah, me. Yeah, clean. <laughs> Exactly. And so we connected because I was just curious if, you know, with, with my podcast being the life shift podcast, I was curious if other people have ever sat down and thought about the one moment that changed everything in their life. That one thing that shifted everything. And I guess it made you think because you responded. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have so many things that happened in my life that were life shifts for me. But I answered to you and said the very first thing that came to mind was a time that I got on a bus on a three-day ride across the country with a one-way ticket, just moving as a last-ditch effort. Uh, I was in a bad mental state and I was suicidal. And it was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I was just numb. And I just sold everything or got rid of everything, got on a bus, moved across the country. And of course, how can that not be life shifting? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, since you let the cat out of the bag early, which is good. I I mean, I think people are going to be like curious of, of how you got to this point. So why don't you paint kind of a picture of what your life was like as far back as you want to go that brings us to this moment in which you needed to get that one-way ticket and get rid and like burn everything to get to where you needed to go. I have lived through a life of trauma from childhood and on to adulthood, just one thing after the other. And I had just divorced my second husband who was abusive in every way. And the first husband was also abusive, but just sort of verbally and emotionally. And I like to say that I kind of, you know, jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire, you know, with from the first marriage to the second marriage. I finally left that second marriage and I thought, oh, this is this is going to be good now. You know, now everything will be great. Um, now I can live my life. I'm independent. I'm free. I got away from him. and and. I didn't realize that the whole childhood leading up to that point was going to crash down on me. I didn't realize that it was all connected. At that moment, I didn't realize. But then I started having nightmares. I started having, you know, like night terrors and just being really fearful and depressed. And I couldn't get out of that. I didn't understand where that was coming from. I thought everything's going to be great now, (laughs) you know? And um, so it was a year I was living on my own mentally, just going down, down, down mentally. So then there was a friend who was talking about moving to California and said, maybe that's what you want to do and, you know, just start over. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. I can't imagine that I'd be able to do that, you know? And so I started looking into it, and two weeks later, (laughs) two weeks later, I was on the bus. I mean, I was at a point of, I was thinking of ways for suicide. I was, I didn't think that, you know, I was going to get better. I saw myself sinking deeper and deeper, and I thought, why not, you know? Well, okay, so let's, 
I let's back up a little bit. I don't want to I don't want to have you expose anything you don't want to, but I think you know, have a lot of a lot of people have experienced childhood trauma in a variety of ways, and I think that many people are not given tools as we grow up, and especially like your generation, my generation, I don't know what generation you're in, but I'm assuming that we're in similar ones. But I feel like we weren't given the tools to address these or our tools were, here is the broom, here is the rug, <laughs> sweep, sweep it them under, under right? <laughs> and tomorrow might be better. And we kind of just try to carry on with that backpack of burden. Do you think that your first marriage was a product of finding something that that was connected to your childhood trauma, like without intentionally doing it? Absolutely. I think that I was really looking for that family unit. I had never had that growing up. And um, speaking of having tools, being taught tools, I didn't have, I was neglected. I didn't have my parents around. Um, I was very alone a lot of the time. We moved a lot we lived in poverty. So I had no parental guidance. I had no kind of parental interaction or, you know, wasn't taught very much about anything. So I ended up as a teen mother. And from there, my son was getting about, I don't know if he was between three and five years old. And I started thinking about, you know, I was already working in daycare and doing pretty well on my own with him as a single teen mother. I was looking, thinking I wanted to have another baby, have a sibling for him and sort of grow up a little bit more. You know, I was ready for adulthood and I wanted to have that family unit. So I started looking for somebody that was like, I wouldn't date somebody that wasn't like husband material, you know, and <laughs> you <have a> checklist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's what happened. And I think that when you are in a state of, when you don't have self-confidence, when you don't know yourself. I think that you attract people that are more controlling just because they're able to and, you know, just some sort of the law of attraction kind of brings those people into your life because you emit that kind of vibration or, or energy that you can be sort of controlled or that you don't have the self-confidence to stand up for yourself in that. So definitely to get back to your question, definitely my childhood led up to that first marriage. Yeah. And even, you know, even in that story of, you know, your child is a certain age and now you want to create a family yeah. for your child because probably because you didn't have that and you wanted to give your child everything that you didn't have, probably in spite of the fact that you didn't know how. <laughs> right. And I didn't even realize that I didn't know how. Like at that time, I did not realize that the whole childhood, you know, led up to that. Yeah. You were existing. You were mm -hmm. you were trying to do the things. And I think a lot of that, I, I think a lot of people can relate to kind of just going through life, filling gaps that we didn't know we had, you know, yeah. just by a product of, of the steps that we're taking that we think are forward, you know, and, and maybe they were maybe finding your first husband was the step that you needed to get to this version of you. Right. I mean, it wasn't a healthy one, but maybe it was healthy in the long run, 
to know. I totally believe that, you know, that everything we do in life, you know, everything that has brought me to where I am right now, you know, couldn't have happened without everything that I've been through. And I know that that's kind of common and a lot of people say that, but it's so true, you know, just a few years back, you know, probably five, six years back, I would have had so many regrets. There's so many things I would have said that I wish this didn't happen. I wish this didn't happen. But now I'm at a place that I can say, well, I had to go through that to get to where I'm at now. And so I don't regret any of it. I don't wish any of it didn't happen. It's hard. And I think a lot, I was talking to someone earlier today about trauma and about how in that moment, first of all, you just don't think that you'll ever get out of this particular trauma. And you can't imagine that anyone else is facing what you're facing and you feel very alone so I'm, I'm imagining a lot of those moments in your childhood kind of, you know, you put them aside when you had a, had a child and you were trying to take care of this child. Then you were trying to find protection, I guess, maybe in a marriage or something that, that kept you feeling, you know, less traumatized. But then you found that space that was also traumatizing <laughs> yeah. and then try to get out of that one. Right. Into the fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't think that you realize at the time that you're trying to create something from the trauma, you know, something that you were missing. You don't realize that at the time. And you don't have the tools to know what a good relationship is, you know, to know how to... Right, because you had no modeling. Right, right. To play your part. You know, I I don't want to sit here and, you know, and bad talk my ex-husbands, but, you know, it's I played a role in those relationships too. And, you know, you have to learn to, you know, you learn as you go and learning to stand up for yourself and what you will and won't accept and just learning how to collaborate sort of, or, or, you know, just to have a, a relationship and to raise children together and stuff. You just, there's so much that goes into your childhood. And like you said, modeling, whether it is, you know, um, I, I know your story of losing your mother, even if it's grandparents or other people, aunts and uncles or, or step parents, if you have that you know, to look to as what the relationship is supposed to be in a good marriage, then that's, you know, then that's just as good as having your, a good family unit when you're young with your, your biological mother and father. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It was interesting. I think I, I, to your point of finding or the trauma piece and like seeking out things, but not understanding, I think an example for me is very much, you know, when my mom died, I sought any female figure to be that mother figure, whether that was my third grade teacher that I was in touch with for many, many years after, or my grandmother took over the role or my friend's mothers. I got really close to them. And it wasn't until maybe recently where I realized, wow, I was really seeking the thing that I felt was missing in my life. And so I guess in my case, that was a, a good thing for me. You know, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't create more trauma, I guess is, is another way of saying that. So, you know, when you left your second husband, 
you said that you were in just such a state, like a depressive state, a suicidal ideation. Did you have those feelings prior to that? Or was that like something new when you were on your own? Yeah, that was new. That was new for me because my mother, um, so I lost a sibling when I was a young teen. And so my mother had already been through losing a child. And I never thought of, you know, I never had suicidal thoughts before that time. But at that time, one of the things that helped me was I didn't want to put my mother through that again. A lot of people say it's my children that have kept me here because I wanted to be around for them. But I was feeling like they'd be better off without me, you know. But yeah, that was the first time because I felt so out of control. I could feel myself sinking deeper and deeper and not having the tools or not having people that I knew that I could reach out to. I had tried to find counseling just on my own, you know, counseling or therapy. And I just wasn't able to get to that point. It was like everything that I could, you know, everything I can do just to get out of bed and get myself to drive to these places and, you know, and and ask for help. I even went to the emergency room and you would think that they would have you know, I don't think I said I was suicidal. <laughs> I think I was just saying I'm so anxious and I don't, I just need help. I can't really take care of myself so much. I w- knew I wasn't, I knew I wasn't safe alone, not just because I was suicidal, but I like, you know, I just was forgetting to eat and wasn't able to work and just really, really down. So, so yeah, I just felt myself getting deeper and deeper, not having this a way out of it. So that's where I started thinking of suicide and and started thinking seriously, you know, trying to make a plan. How am I going to do this? You know, what's the best way to do this? I mean, I'm sorry that you went through those periods of your life. And I know you said that, you know, it brought you to where you are now. But in that moment, it's so hard. And you know what struck me? And it's so interesting that you actually went to the emergency room and asked for help. (laughs) And what's interesting to me is I wonder if not enough people ask for help so they weren't sure what to do, you know, in a sense that like... They had... the. They had sent me to the, we, in that town, they had a mental health center. They sent me there. And when I went there, I had to fill out, I had to wait for a long time, which was really hard. And I had to fill out a bunch of paperwork and that was really hard. And someone came over cause I had been sitting there for hours, you know, waiting and then had the paper. Someone came over to help me with the paperwork. And then when I left, then they sent me on my way that they'll get back to me after the paperwork and everything. And I went back to my car and, you know, it's hard to drive even. I mean, every little thing you do is so hard. And after that was a traumatic experience just in itself, I had went to the emergency room. Then I went to this mental health center. I was in there for hours, went back to my car and just was crying and sobbing and just waiting until I can bring myself together enough to drive home safely, you know. What what year, around what year was this? So this is 2014 or 15. I was hoping you were going to say like in the 90s. I know, or 80s or 90s. I know it sounds like it, right? Yeah. It makes me, it makes me so sad. And 
you know, I talked to so many people, you, you've been listening to some of these episodes and so much of our conversation is about mental health and taking care of ourselves. And to hear that society and the structures that we're given make it really hard to take care of ourselves because you know what? Mental health, you can say that word and sure, we can say, oh, I'll have a spa day. That's not what it's about. Right, like, right. We might need real help. There's something that we can't do. And if we're strong enough, like you're so strong to go to seek help, like that's really hard when you're in such despair and to not get it. It, it just blows my mind that 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 the structure is so hard. I mean, and I was hoping you were going to say the nineties or something where it wasn't so recent. That being said, I hope even in the last, I want to say the last like five years or 10 years, you know, I feel like we're getting better. I think people I think so are too. talking about it more. I think it's more, it's less taboo, if you will, but just hearing that story and knowing it was only like eight years ago. Oh, so what do you think, I mean, I don't want to get really dark here, but what kept you from, you know, creating that plan and, and moving forward in that dark, dark space? Well, I still was concerned for my mother. You know, I still didn't, still was, you know, aware enough that I didn't want to, you know, upset her that much more. I also, you know, just... I was looking for help. I couldn't get it. And it was, that's when it got really serious. The, you know, the feeling of just wanting to end it. And I was, I think I was still in that space when this friend said to me, you know, maybe you just need to get out of here and go somewhere far away and start fresh somewhere. Because I was still in the town where I had divorced my abusive husband. And part of the fear I thought part of the fear, because I was so fearful, and I thought that a lot of that was worried about him, him finding me, you know. So leaving and going somewhere far away where he didn't know where I was might be helpful. But I don't think that that was really the fear, but that's what I was thinking it was. What was it about, like, your friend just saying that off the cuff, that, like, maybe planted a seed in your head was there something special about that moment hmm that that's a real life shift isn't it <laughs> when they said when they said that i think it was just a last ditch effort a way to to avoid suicide i feel like if it was a different time if it was a week or two before that and that friend said something do you think do you think there was something about that moment that was like Oh, like you had this glimmer of hope of some sort. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it was at a point that I felt hopeless. I was at the very last, you know, I was, I was hopeless. I was at the very last bit of effort to try to save myself. And I was at a loss. I felt hopeless. And so there it was. Well, maybe I could. I, at first I thought it was ridiculous. At first I thought, yeah, right, you know, like I'm really just going to be able to pick up and go somewhere I've never been. I don't know, you know. And so I, then I started started looking into it, which is surprising to even me that I even just started looking into it. So I was in a lease. I was renting a little house. 
And I said to my landlord, which I was already late on my rent. So I said to my landlord, I may be moving before the um, lease is up. Just to give you a heads up, you know, I, I'm, I might, I wanted to be, I was in constant contact with them and they were really great. They knew my situation. So I just was really communicating with them. And I said, I may be leaving the state and just wanted you to know, I'll let you know if I'm going to or how this works out. Just wanted to tell you. So then they said, well, we were thinking of selling the house anyway. Can you be out in two weeks? I think that was the thing that made me think. And then I said, I'll try. <laughs> I mean, I know we started this saying that your shift was <laughs> jumping on that bus, but it sounds like the shift might have come a little bit sooner, you know, in these, because I know having gone through depression and I fortunately for myself have not been as far down the road as you were, but I know how, I don't want to say the word I felt, I feel like it's easier to stay in that space, right? In that mental space. For me, it was much easier to stay than it was to work my way out of wherever I was at that particular moment. But to hear your story and to know that someone like threw like, like a little, like, like a diamond in like, (laughs) in the mess, I kind of went, Wait a second. There is a, there's a light coming from somewhere. From somewhere, yeah, yeah. Where right. is that and shimmer? Then, yeah, right. And then you're like, oh wait, okay. So that is a possibility. Now I'm gonna do a little bit of work, and now I'm gonna actually tell someone else that I might be leaving, because maybe your brain was like, well, maybe they'll tell me that I can't, mm. and I have to stay. Right, like a little bit of that. Oh, there's a comfort, right? But now you got like your your can you be out in two weeks? <laughs> yeah. Did that light the fire? Did you kind of weirdly get excited about that? I or? was scared. When they said that, I thought, oh my gosh. I I felt like a I had been punched in the stomach, you know? I thought, you know, how can you move? In two weeks, you know, with just two week notice, I mean, you know, how can you just go from, I have a lease that has a few months left to out in two weeks. I mean, as a child, we were evicted a couple times and I, and I know I wasn't being evicted, but I think that sort of triggered a little bit of that kind of a thing. So my first thought was, you know, figuring out how I'm going to get to California, where I'm going to actually get off the bus and go to the moment I'm there. And then what about my stuff? You know, I had already lost a lot of my stuff in the divorce, but I still had accumulated, like I bought furniture. It was all used and everything, but I filled up this house. You know, I bought furniture. I had clothes, of course. And, you know, so, you know, I had, I had stuff. We all have stuff. I had to figure out how to get rid of that and what I needed to bring with me and how I was going to get there. And so it gave me a task to occupy my mind and to do something productive. And it felt good doing that. And it felt like I had saved myself, you know, or that saved me. Did it give you purpose? Yeah. Well, it gave me hope. It gave me some hope. Like you said, looking around for that light, like, oh, there's a light somewhere. It it gave me a little hope when I was at the very, you know, there was no hope whatsoever at that point. The last, you were on the last rung of that ladder 
holding on. Someone was like, oh, let me lift you up a little bit. Even though it was scary, you know, the fact that it gave you like a task, it gave you something to, because there's something to be said when, when you're only alone with your thoughts, mm-hmm. everything is a lot darker. Mm-hmm. If you have nothing to do, did it help you stop feeling as much despair? Yeah, absolutely. Because I had something to do and I felt very, you know, before that time, I wasn't sure of myself as far as, am I, I, you know, am I okay? I knew I wasn't okay, but living alone, you feel like, I don't know that I'm really not worse off than I feel like I am. You know, if, if that makes sense, like you don't trust your own, you know, how how mentally ill am I, <laughs> you know, am I, should I be living alone? You know, um, I really thought that I'd be going into the hospital or something. I knew that I wasn't well, but I, I really worried about myself. Um, my, my grandmother had schizophrenia. I was just so concerned with totally losing myself if I wasn't, you know, going to going to go through with suicide. I I was worried about my mental state. So that gave me something to do and to realize that I could do something. I could help myself. You know, like I'm looking up for jobs in California. I'm looking up for a place to stay. I'm looking up at the bus schedules. It's like, oh, I'm able to do something, you know, something worthwhile for myself even. And uh, it was really, it gave me a lot of hope. Yeah. Growing up, did you feel a sense of independence? Like, were you always independent or were you more like seeking someone else needed to help you in some capacity? I was, I grew up, I would say pretty numb, I was not independent. I was alone a lot. We were hungry a lot. I hid a lot, which sounds very strange to say, but I hid. I hid out in my closet. I hid up oh, in you the, actually like physically, physically hid. hid. Yeah. Okay. I hid away in the um in a tree looking. I didn't go to school and I hid in the tree and I'd watch the the schoolyard from the tree. Just wanted to disappear, I guess. And blend it's, in yeah, well, not, not blend in as much as, well, blend in with the surroundings, with the surroundings but not people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we were in a rented house and people were coming through to like an open house and I wasn't in school. I was supposed to be in school and we knew these people were coming and talking about blending in with your surroundings. And this is going to sound very strange, but I was only nine or 10 years old And I hid in the laundry and I tried to like, I laid in the laundry very still while they were walking through and I put clothes like on me so I would look like part of the clothes. So talking about blending in with you. Like (laughs) E.T. Like E.T. I never thought of that. That's so, that's exactly, oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think that, I think it, I, I mean, Sure, it's not something that everyone would say, but I think it probably explains a lot of your trauma response as a kid that doesn't have the tools to do anything. So I don't necessarily think it's strange. And and part of the question relates to wondering if you were, like if this new moment of kind of planning out what could be was your first taste of really feeling 
independent and determining your path and feeling like, yeah. oh, I have control. Yeah. Yeah. Because throughout my whole childhood, no control, nothing, I, nothing, everything. Yeah. Just had to, had to stay alive. Basically my first marriage, I was, you know, talked down to, I was, you know, controlled. There was gaslighting, you know, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, all of that. Second marriage, even worse, <laughs> you know, physical abuse, everything. He was a alcoholic and a drug addict, and I didn't know that when I first married him. So that that's my whole life. I had I felt like I had no control over my life, and I couldn't be me. I couldn't live my own life. I didn't even know me. Like just the past few years, I've come to really start to know myself and, you know, starting all these new things in my life. And it's just been so amazing. You know, I'm in the, you know, mid fifties and here I am finding myself and, you know, getting my, my own life back. So, yeah, so that was the first time that I felt a little bit in control of, of my own path ahead of me. Yeah. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You don't have to answer this, but in those other relationships, was that as bad as it was, was that a comfortable space for you? Like, did, did that feel, I don't, I'm trying to think about, you know, like to my comment before about depression and how it kind of feels comfortable, even though, you know, it's not a safe space to be like, it feels like that warm blanket like, did you feel like that was your space and you were supposed to be there? And then all of a sudden you were in this space where, where you weren't controlled anymore. I think that I felt it wasn't comfortable. It was just, I didn't know how to take control of my own life. I didn't know what it felt like to know myself and know what I even wanted. Yeah. But did you have the drive to make you think that in those moments? 
Like, did you feel like, oh, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I need to take a new control over it. You mean for when I was getting on the bus and making those no, plans? No, when, or... <laughs> when you're in those relationships and you said you didn't really know yourself, did you did you know that you should know? I, no, no. I didn't know how to be me. I didn't know that other people knew how to be themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it a normal conversation that you regularly had with your friend that they brought it up? Or was it just like some kind of spur of the moment to go to California? He had another friend because he was in the same kind of situation I was. And this was like one of the friends that was somebody that we would help each other through our anxiety and our depression. So there's lots of phone calls more so, but sometimes we'd go for walks and stuff like that. So somebody suggested that to him. So he had a friend in California. Now, he never came to California. So, But he had a friend in California that said, hey, why don't you come stay with me and you can start fresh, you know? And so and that's somebody I didn't know. So then he said to me, hey, I might be moving out of state. That might be a good option for you to start over and, and start fresh, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, we hadn't talked about what to do about it. You know, we both felt hopeless, you know. And it kind of was just like this easily dismissed idea that a lot of people would be like, <laughs> yeah, where? I'm what? I have all this stuff here. So, so you were, you know, you had that conversation and then your landlord was like, Hey, can you get out in two weeks? And yeah. I'm assuming you made it happen. Yeah. 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 So I ended up, you know, like I said, I looked on the internet for ways to, so California is different. I've lived in a lot of different places, a lot of different States. And this is the only place I know of that you can like have live in jobs where, cause rent and mortgage and everything is so expensive that there's a lot of homeless here. So there's these live-in jobs. Now, I was a licensed nurse for 14 years. I'm a former nurse. I'm not a nurse anymore. But that's the only thing that sort of kept me in my marriages, sort of kept me being able to function, you know, something to something to do and look forward to and have a purpose. So you could do live-in caretaker type jobs where you're like, you know, helping to care for elderly or special needs people and or pet sitting, even, you know, people that would have two homes or other places that they were going for long term, they would want you to do their stay in their home and do home sitting and pet sitting, you know, take care of their home and, and their surroundings and there and the pets. And then also for the elderly. So I did, I did do that. I found a couple different you know, places that I could go, a couple sort of interviews to set up. And I was able to do that. And I able was able to get off the bus and, and start a job. And I actually went through a few of them because the first one was a scam kind of a thing. And so after that, and I thought at that time, you know, how could this be happening to me? <laughs> you know, like, how could I get into this terrible situation? And, you know, where I was scared for my life, you know, even, and then, you know, so I just got out of there real quick, you know, because <laughs> you knew you could. Yeah. So I just, you had practice a little bit before. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah. So I was able to, then I ended up nursing again here because that was the only way I could make a good living and, and really do some sort of real work where I could get out on my own in that. What was it like when you sat your butt down in that seat on the bus? Oh, like, and you had left everything. 
<laughs> I have a good story about that. <laughs> I don't know if you know the story. So it's a three-day ride. So I leave. I left this husband that was an alcoholic, drug abuser, abused me. I left him. I went down a path of deep depression, high anxiety, get on this bus, sort of last-ditch effort. The person that sits next to me has a water bottle, <laughs> and it's not filled with water. They look sort of disheveled and homeless, which, you know, I didn't think anything of that. They sit next to me, and I could smell the alcohol, and they're talking and talking and talking. I'm just trying, not even trying to be polite. I'm just like, I'm not saying anything. I'm so numb on that bus ride. That whole ride, I was really just numb. People say that you're, you know, you were brave or whatever. It's like, no, I just didn't care. I didn't care what happened to me. So then this person spills their drink on my seat. It's like vodka or something, some clear alcohol, and it stunk really badly. I stand up right away, and they start trying to rub my bottom to get the, the alcohol to get because it was wet. And this is the first day of a three-day ride. And when we, got, when, we, when we got on the bus, we were told, you know, whatever suitcases you put underneath, don't expect to get that when we stop. The bus driver at the stops is not going to go underneath and get everybody's. You're allowed to bring a carry-on. Well, I, just, I had these jeans on. I had like Levi jeans on. You know, I thought I'm going to wear these for the three days, you know. I think I had one shirt, one, another T-shirt or something changed in my purse or my carry-on or whatever. So I had to tell the bus driver at the next stop what happened. And that, to me, that was another sort of a big shift. Like, I actually, this person wasn't allowed to get back on the bus. You're not allowed to bring alcohol on the bus. And... They did get me my suitcase so I could change my clothes. <laughs> and I just threw those jeans away. I was like, I'm not just going to roll these up and put them in my suitcase for three days under a bus with soaked in alcohol. So you advocated for yourself. That was like you were, you were doing that. You know what's so interesting? Uh, that you unveiled that you were a nurse for so long and your responsibility as a nurse is to care for others and you were so deep in your space that you weren't able to care for yourself. Yeah. And so I feel like it's so common. We have so much ability to do all these other things, but we can't do for ourselves until, until that moment. And so at what point in your journey did you feel like, like a human again? Did you, or, or for the first time really, right? When did you start like, feeling like this version of you? Probably just a couple of years ago, you know, when I, when I gave up nursing and I started hypnotherapy and I actually started painting and still continued with pet sitting. Um, so really like the pandemic actually is kind of like I really was brought into this space of, you know, I needed to get out of nursing for the longest time. And that was kind of the thing that helped me do it. And I was taking classes for hypnotherapy, and I was able to take clients all over, virtually all over. So it didn't really stop that. Then as soon as the pandemic was, well, not over because it's still not really over, um, but, you know, after 2020, so like 2021, I started doing a lot of pet sitting, helping um, because I was 
making my own schedule with hypnotherapy. And I just loved, I've always loved pets and pet sitting and have helped pets in different ways throughout my life. And so that's really taken off. And like I said, painting, having my own space to do my own thing. I'm, I'm married again and I had went through therapy, EMDR therapy. And so just really the last two, three years, I've really, you know, come into, I wrote my memoir and published it. And so all these things, you know, and I'm taking classes now still. Um, so I'm really just like growing and learning about myself and expressing myself. And it's just, it's really amazing to me. And, and that's why I decided to publish my memoirs, because it's really amazing to me how I didn't realize so much. I didn't realize so much of my childhood and my life before had kept me from who I am today, or even knowing this person, you know, and I know that people get stuck and it's so easy to get stuck. Like you've said, sometimes it can be the comfort that I know, you know, so it's only been the last couple, few years or so that, that I've come to know me and who I am. And yeah. In what part of your journey were you ready to unpack that early trauma and, and therapy. I know you said you sought out therapy before, and that was probably a lot of it was out of desperation and not necessarily unpacking and clearing house in a way. Was there anything that triggered you like that you were like, I'm ready to face this? Yeah, I was still having a lot of nightmares. And I was reliving the last because there was one last sort of physical attack that made me leave my second ex-husband. I had to call the police to get out safely. And that was the last thing that I kept reliving in nightmares. And so when I went for therapy, I actually went to my doctor in California. I didn't have a doctor. I went to a, a doctor and I said, you know, I need something for this anxiety and these, I was thinking to get medicine, you know, is what I went for. And so they, it's very American. <laughs> right, right. Well, I had tried before, you know, in another place. And I, so I kind of, I guess I forgot that, you know, I might be able to get therapy. So they, they then, you know, you know, referred me to, to therapy. And when I was in therapy, I said, I thought, well, I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. I thought, what am I, you know, like I, you know, was physically abused and now I can't sleep. Now what? You know, <laughs> I had no idea that like the whole childhood, it was just so amazing to me. And I think people need to know that, you know, children, we say children are resilient, but I think it comes up eventually or it comes out eventually, you know, even something, just a divorce alone, you know, I think it's important to make sure that the kids are okay, you know. I think it's, I think even just normalizing therapy yes, and normalizing, because I think, I think I've had personal conversations with people that I'm like, you know, they're, they're talking about therapy, but they're like, I don't know what I would say. Exactly. And it's like, well, neither do they, you <laughs> right. just go in and you, they're trained, you know, they're, they're, they have a license to do <laughs> right. this, right? That's so, their job, not yours. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you go and you share and they're like, well, what? And then I think a lot of people get like, well, I don't want them to know all of it. <laughs> right. You know, like I want to make it sound nice <laughs> or package it nicely. And it's like, well, then you're not ready for therapy. But 
you know, like we said earlier, I think we're getting to a space in which therapy is a little bit more normalized and, and people are seeking it. I mean, for me, it was interesting because it took me, I mean, you listened to my episode, but it took me 20 something years to what I would say, unlock that final door of grief with my mom or losing my mom. And what got me was something that seemingly sounded so simple when my fifth therapist told me, because it takes a little bit to find the right one, right? The one that you feel comfortable with and you have to do that work. But she said to me, she said, you realize that every decision that you've made since, since that day you've made as the eight-year-old version of you out of fear that someone's going to leave you, out of fear that something's going to go wrong, out of fear that you're going to be orphaned, you know, whatever that may be. And I was like, you know, like I'm 30 something now. Why? Like at that point, and I was like, why didn't I realize any of this? And to your point, you know, it takes enough confidence and courage in yourself to be vulnerable in that sense. But then what you get from it is so worth it. Yeah. Right? A whole new life. Yeah. You're, you're reintroduced to yourself. Yeah. I, she, that therapist that I went to at that time is the one who, who said the actual words, childhood neglect. And I thought, no, you know, I wasn't neglected, you know, but I, but I was, it was just not not an intentional sort. We think of childhood neglect as parents that are either alcoholics or they're just, they leave their kids alone to go gambling or to the bars or just, you know, or whatever it is. I didn't have that. My, my father was um, a deadbeat dad before that was even a term. My mother was trying to take care of three girls. She was working all the time. She thought my older sisters were taking care of me. It was, it was childhood neglect because I was alone and I didn't have basic needs. But that was the first time I realized. And then she brought up CPTSD, continued trauma throughout your life. And so all these things was new to me. So yeah, I didn't have to know anything more than, than my life, you know? (laughs) And what's interesting too about, you know, childhood and neglect and that, and I have two, I had two older sisters. One was killed in a car accident when she was 18, just before my 14th birthday. But my other sister asked me when I was writing my book. So a few years ago asked me, weren't you, and these are her words, farmed out, weren't you farmed out for a while? Like she didn't remember me being around at all. So I guess I hid pretty good, but (laughs) But she didn't remember that I was even around. So my sisters didn't take care of me. They were supposed to stay with me probably. I don't know. I'm assuming. It's amazing what someone else can unlock in us and then how all these dots can start to connect. Yes. And it's just like everything makes sense now. You know, like you're in this really – and it's it's comforting, right? Because then you're yes. not you're not like why or what or you know, wondering these things. It really so I'm, I'm helps. Glad, yeah. I'm glad that you've, you've gone through this journey. You can tell in the way that you tell your before story and the way you talk about your current life and your facial express, you know, like you just seem 
sit like you're sitting in joy with with what's happened what's your favorite part of of your new life like what's what brings you the most joy right now uh, being able to show others that it's possible to get out of that place you know between hypnotherapy and you know doing some podcasts with people you know as guests and you know in my book you know just so many different ways that I'm able to help others to get out of where I was, you know, that is just, just amazing to me. I love, love, love hearing people's stories. And I hope to, you know, help them to, to be able to tell their story and to know they're not alone and to know it's possible to, you know, come out of that. Even when you, even later in life, you know, it's possible. And and I just love that, I'm so, I'm still amazed. I'm so hopeful. Like every year since like 2020, I'm like, oh, it's been such a great year. I can't wait till the next year. And then the next year is so much better. And then the next year is so much better. It's just like so amazing to me. I, I am in a place in my life that I would have never, never thought I would be never in a million years thought I'd be even feeling the way I do, let alone you know, writing, you know, becoming a published author and painting, painting things that people want to actually buy and, and speaking to people about my whole life story, <laughs> you know, just never thought I'd be here or in a, in a truly respectful, loving relationship, you know, marriage again, you know, and even in California, you know, who knew, <laughs> who knew I'd be here? <laughs> you know? So yeah, well, yeah. It, it's palpable, the, the joy and, and how you feel about this and and to your earlier point you know you probably had i hate to say it but had to experience those those really low moments to realize how good things are even when you have a bad day now i bet you're still grateful for certain parts of those moments you know of that absolutely. day absolutely absolutely yeah yeah well, I, I appreciate you sharing your story. I like to kind of wrap up these calls with a question. And I'm wondering if you could go back to Pamela when your friend suggested California that first time. Is there anything that you, this version of you, could share with her that would light that fire quicker? I would say just go. I mean, don't even think about it, you know? And, and I think I would say as far as like advice for her is, you know, look deeper into your opportunities when you get there. You know, I might tell her that there's going to be a few more steps, but you're going to be in a place that you cannot even fathom right now, you know? So there's more than hope on the other side of this. There's there's more, much more than just hope on the other side. And I bet that you wish you could go back to the nine-year-old hiding in that laundry and just give her a big old hug. Yeah, yeah. I've done some inner child work and meditations with for inner child, and it surprised me. That's the thing. That's the thing. I just She just needed a big hug and to know she wasn't alone. Yeah. You know, I think that... It serves the purpose and kind of the reason that I have the life shift is for so long, I felt like I was the only one that had ever lost a mother. And I knew logically that I wasn't. But when you're in these moments, you feel like no one else can possibly be in this spot. And so I, 
I appreciate that you just came on and shared this really deep, dark part of your life and how you were able to find the light a little bit at a time. And now you're just living in it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yeah. The, the podcast is amazing. I love, love, love hearing these people's stories. I just <laughs> can't get enough of it. Yeah. It's great. People are amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's interesting too, because, you know, people may hear your story and although they didn't experience the same exact moments, something that you say will stick with them, right? And that will make them think about something in a different way, or perhaps they know someone that was like you, right? And they tell them they should go to California. Yeah, you know? like, right. <laughs> maybe not that exactly, but you know, yeah. we never know how our story is going to affect other people. And even if they're not in a similar position as us, you know? So I appreciate you taking this time and, and being a part of the Life Shift podcast. It just fills my cup every day, every time I have these conversations. So thank you. We will share the links to your book and, and some of your contact information in the show notes. So if anyone listening wants to connect with you, they can do that. And for those of you listening, if you're enjoying the the Life Shift podcast, please take a moment to rate and review. I would be so grateful. I don't know if it does anything, but make my day a little bit better. So thank you for being a part of this. And we will see you next week on the Life Shift podcast. For more information, please visit www.thelifeshiftpodcast.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.